I'm so excited about this morning and where we're going and what we're starting because this morning is the beginning of an adventure, a journey that we're going to take. It's going to end on Easter Sunday, March 31st, as we glorify God for the resurrection. But it's a journey that's going to go through some phases, and we're beginning it this morning. And, and we're, going to, we're going to really dig deep to experience more of Jesus Christ. That's my hope. My hope is that we, we get to really hear his heart, that we slow down and we learn his language, and, and we, we discover who Jesus really is, maybe in ways that we'd never discovered before. And so this, this journey is going to begin in the Gospel of Luke, and it's going to be in chapter 19, what's called the triumphal entry, and we're just going to stay right there with Jesus all the way through the book of Luke until we make it to the resurrection. So I want you to grab your Bible right now. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to go to Luke 19, and we're going to start in a moment in verse 28. Now, while you're finding Luke 19, let me go ahead and tell you how this is going to work over these next three months. There are three phases to the journey we're going to take. There are three different sermon series that are under the umbrella of Luke 19 all the way through the resurrection in 24. And so the, the three journeys begin today, the first one, and you're going to see the sermon series title change. You saw what it said, you've seen it around the building, King Jesus with a question mark. And this first series is the wrestling, is he really king? Because that's what was going on in the Bible. Like he, he comes in the triumphal entry and now everybody's got to decide, is he really king or is he not? They've been watching him for three years. They don't know if he's king or not, and they wrestle. And so you and I, as we walk with Jesus, are going to wrestle with him. Is he king or is he not? And we're going to take us all the way to Valentine's Day, but it's not because of Valentine's Day. It's because that's also the beginning of the Lenten season. So as we enter into the Lenten season, we're going to enter phase two of the journey. And the title is going to change of the sermon series from King Jesus with a question mark to killing Jesus with a period. Because it's the moment in the scriptures when they decide, nope, this man is crazy, he needs to die. And they're figuring out the way that they can take him down. And during that Lenten season, we're going we're gonna to go in that journey with Jesus and we're going to fast and we're going to mourn and we're going to suffer a bit with him and we're going to feel the weight. And it's going to take us all the way through the Lenten season to Holy Week. And it's going to culminate when we feel the real weight of the cross on Good Friday. And then we're going to enter into the third sermon series, which is just one sermon, Easter Sunday, and you're going to see the sermon title say, King Jesus with an exclamation mark, because we find out he really is king. But we've got to go through each one of these elements to get there. So I'm excited to dig in. Luke chapter 19, we're going to begin in verse 28, and let's see what the Word of God says. It says, then he said to them, oh, I'm in the totally wrong place. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, they went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they, sat on, they sat, set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Okay, now I, I want to stop there for a moment. That's a very familiar passage for many of you, the, the triumphal entry. But it's, it's normally a passage you deal with on Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter, because that's the time you celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem during Holy Week. And, 
And, and maybe some of you, when you were a kid, you might remember a season when they gave you actual palm branches and you would wave them and remember Palm Sunday as Jesus is coming in. And it's a fun little celebration to kind of earmark the beginning of Holy Week and then Easter as the end of Holy Week. But because of the familiarity many of you have with the passage of Scripture, there's a really good chance you don't understand what Jesus is doing. Because what he just did was incredibly explosive, very polarizing. He had the intention of this moment to polarize the people. Now, I, I got a question for you. Any of you in this room, I'm going to ask for a show of hands, any of you tired of how polarized society is right now? Like, there's just no in-between. Like, everybody hates everybody else. It's just like, you, you're either on this extreme or that extreme politically. You're either on this extreme or that extreme philosophically. It just, like, you, we can't get along with anybody. All there is is fighting and war and bickering. You get on social media and you just feel dirty by the time you get off reading it because of all that hate and animosity. and everybody, Everything just seems so amazingly polarized. We're now in an election year. Let me go ahead and tell you, it's going to get worse. Incredibly polarized. And I personally, I hate it. I hate seeing all this unnecessary division and anger and hostility and rancor. And then I read about Jesus and I see him begin to become a polarizing figure. And I got to be honest with you, I don't, I don't really like it. I don't like that he's pulling people to the polls and, and causing this kind of conflict, but I can't get around it because that's exactly what he's doing in this passage of Scripture. He, right now, in this moment, is openly declaring himself to be king. He's taking his cues straight from the playbook of Zechariah, chapter 9. Keep your place in Luke 19, because this is where we're going to be in and keep coming back to it. But I'm going to flip over to the to prophet, the minor prophet, Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. Now, if you don't know Zechariah, this was written most likely some 500 years before Jesus was even born. And he tells us in this prophecy... What to look for when the king comes. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So some 500 years before Christ comes, Zechariah says, here's what you need to find. When you see the king coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey, that's the king. Be on the lookout for him. 500 years they're looking. They don't see him. And then you flip over to Luke 19. And what happens? Here comes Jesus, humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, a foal of a donkey. He is clearly declaring himself to be king. Listen, this wasn't some kind of like happy accident that Jesus accidentally fulfilled the prophecy. He's calling all the shots. He says, guys, go get the colt, get everything ready, because I'm about to come in on the donkey. I'm going to show everybody I'm king. Now, I think there's a side of this that you got to ask the question, why in the world would he do this when like 99.9% .9 of Jesus' life, he did everything he could to hide who he was? You think about this? Like you thought about the scriptures. Every time he heals somebody, he says, don't, don't tell anybody. My time hadn't yet come. The demons start testifying. We know who you are, the son of God. And he says, be quiet, demon. Don't say that. His disciples figure out who he is, and he says, that's just for you to know. Don't tell them. I'm speaking in all these parables so they don't know who I really am. There came a moment in the Gospel of John when they were ready to make him king. I mean, they outright, we're going to make you king. And you know what he did? He ran from it. I, I want to read that for you. Keep your place. Luke 19, 
But John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, listen to how Jesus responds. He says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, by the way, that sign was the feeding of the 5,000, this incredible miracle, everybody could see his power. They said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They're about to come and they're about to say, you're king. They're going to shout. They're going to play the shofar. They're going to anoint him king. And he says, no, thank you, and walks away. That's the story of his life. Doesn't tell anybody that he's king until you get to Luke 19 and all of a sudden Jesus says, I want the whole world to know who I am. I want you to, I want you to know they, they got the message. No one was confused by what Jesus was doing right here. They knew when he came humble and mounted on a donkey, he was declaring to be king. In fact, you see it in the response of the disciples. I want to go back to Luke 19. I want you to read the next couple of verses, verses 37 and 38. Listen to how the disciples respond to Jesus coming mounted on the, the donkey. It says, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, I want you to know what they're doing here. This isn't just some kind of ecstatic moment where we're all praising God, going crazy. They are very precise in their terminology. They're quoting Psalm 118, but they're making one significant shift. Psalm 118 says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that's not what they say. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're trying to remove any ambiguity from it. They want it openly to be known this brother right here on the donkey, this is the king we've been waiting for. They are praising him, the son of David, he's here. Jesus has orchestrated this whole thing. He's choosing to make himself known as king for one purpose. He wants everybody to be forced to choose. This is why Jesus would do this. His whole life he's silent because he's building up a repertoire of miracles so they could see who he is. He's teaching them. He's allowing them to understand his greatness. But it all culminates in this moment when he finally lets the cat out of the bag and comes out of the open and says, all right, guys, you've been wondering. Let me go ahead and tell you, I'm the king. And the reason he does that is because he's now saying, you choose. Do you believe me to be the king or not? Am I king or am I crazy? Are you going to follow me? Or are you going to reject me? Because now there's no room in between. I've made it clear who I am, and now you got to choose. He's polarizing. He had all these people following who were kind of wishy-washy. We don't know, but we like this dude. And now he's saying, that, that, that season's gone. You either come bow before me or you fight against me. There's no in between. You see that response. You see the poles start to fill. you got these disciples who are praising him. In the Gospel of Matthew, he says there's a whole mob starting to join in. Hosanna. People starting to draw near Jesus, and then you see a whole group of people who hate his guts. Keep on reading. Back to Luke 19. Just ripped my Bible. Verses 39 and 40. Listen to what it says. It says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The Pharisees come up to him and they say, Jesus, come on. Everybody knows you're not the Messiah. Everybody knows you're not the king. Would you tell your disciples to shut up, please? They're causing all this problem. 
Now, Jesus could have backed down, like, listen, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cause any trouble. But no, man, that brother presses in. He says, listen, Pharisees, if they didn't see those rocks over there, they'd cry out. Even inanimate objects know I'm the king. You know what he's doing? He's polarizing. He's pulling people to the polls, and there's everybody in the crowd. They're going, ooh, did you hear that? I mean, they were like, they see the fight going on, Jesus and the Pharisees in the establishment, and he's pulling sides, and he's saying, look, you're either with me or you're against me. You're either with me or you're with them. There's no room in between. He's polarizing. He's causing people to choose. Now, listen, I want to go back to what I said earlier. I got, man, I'm so tired of polarizing people. I'm so tired of people who get their jollies out of making people fight with each other. I, I know you see it. Like you, you, watch, you watch sports radio, man. They, those people are like, there ain't no bad press. People love me. People hate me. That's all good to me as long as, long as they're thinking about me. You see that in the political sphere. You see it all over the place. Like there's just people, so there are some people who just love creating division. And those people drive me bonkers. And I don't want to think about Jesus that way. And let me go ahead and tell you the good news. He's not that way. Jesus knew he was polarizing, but he didn't like it. It broke his heart. It broke his heart that there were some people who loved him and some people who rejected him. This is why I think Luke, when he wrote this gospel, he juxtaposed the triumphal entry and the Pharisees rejecting him with verses 41 to 44, where you see the tenderness of the heart of Jesus. Listen to how it goes on. Luke 19, 41. It says, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Here you see this tenderness of Jesus as he begins to weep, but I want you to know why he's weeping. He gets a vision. He's looking at the walls of Jerusalem. He's about to come in, and he sees what nobody else can see. Everybody else looks at the city of Jerusalem. This is the time of Passover. There's like two million people. The city is just bursting with life and vitality, and the walls are high, and the temple is mighty, and everything looks incredible. And everybody else sees this beautiful moment. And I don't know, maybe the father just gave him a vision, but he looks right at the city and he sees what's about to happen in about 35 years. He sees the Roman army completely surrounding the city. He sees them setting up barricades around the walls. He sees the wall being breached. He sees the Roman army rushing in. He hears the screams of the people and the children as they're being murdered. He sees the city being destroyed and his heart wept. God gave him a vision and it broke his heart. He, he wasn't weeping over stones that were torn down. He was weeping over the people who rejected him, who could have had life, and they turned their back on him. He said, because they missed the day of their visitation. Now, maybe you don't know what that means. It, it's an it's a Old Testament phrase. It means the time that God came to you. When God comes, that's called the day of visitation. It's all over the Old Testament that God would visit, that God would come. And he said, you missed it. All you people have been waiting for a Messiah. You've been waiting for God, and the two have come together in me, and you utterly miss me. And he weeps, 
because they missed who they are. In fact, the very people who should have been leading them to the religious leaders are the ones turning their back on Jesus. His heart breaks because he sees the confusion among the people. And so you know what he does? He drives a wedge in even more and divides even more. His first act as he gets into Jerusalem is the most polarizing thing he could do. Let's keep on reading. Next couple of verses, verse 45 and 46. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. I want you to see what Jesus does, because that is one bold brother. Like, I don't know what you would do if you finally got to go to Jerusalem, but here's my guess. You'd beeline it straight for the souvenir shop because you're going to get that olive wood nativity set you've been thinking about. You're going to go buy that prayer shawl. You can go to the wailing wall and check it out. Maybe write a little note, put it in the wall. You're going to see all the sights. You're going to take a selfie in front of the temple. You're going to experience Jerusalem. That's not what Jesus did. He beelined straight to the temple, and that brother starts flipping tables. It doesn't tell you in this account, but in the other accounts of the Gospels, they tell you. He comes up to where the money changers are. He grabs a table, and he flips it. Now, I want you to remember here. They didn't have credit cards back then. They had coins. And you want to know where their coins were? On top of the tables. So let me go ahead and tell you what happened when Jesus comes and starts flipping tables. All their money just starts getting thrown everywhere. These people must have been livid. So like, what are you doing? And the other people around are watching going, I cannot believe this dude. Like he's going to take on the establishment all by himself. This brother's crazy. And he's just flip, flip, flip. You want to know what he's doing? He's acting like a king. That's what he's doing. He comes in and says, this is my place. This is my father's house. And you guys are supposed to be praying, not making a profit off of God. And he says, that dead religion, away with it. He starts flipping tables because I'm king. The sheriff's in town, and I'm going to start flipping some tables. He's acting like a king. And you know what that does? That polarizes people even more. Last two verses, you can see just how polarized they already are. Verses 47 48. And he was teaching them daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. And there you see the polls. You got some people going, man, I like this guy. Ain't nothing going to stop him. Listen to what he's teaching. And they're hanging on every single one of his words. They can't get enough of Jesus. They're on one poll. And then you got all the religious leaders, the establishment over here. They're going, we got to kill that dude. He's going to mess everything up. They are fully on the polls. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus intended to do. His whole purpose in doing this was to come and be king and force people to decide. Am I king or am I your enemy? Because there's no in between. Listen, this, this shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't have surprised them because Jesus actually in the same gospel told them all the way back in chapter 12 that this was going to be his purpose. It just went right over the heads of everybody, much like it does us. I want you to go back to Luke 12 for a moment. I want to read just, just three verses. Luke chapter 12, verses 51 to 53. Listen to what Jesus said way before he came over here to start flipping tables. Luke 12, 51 says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, 
but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I came to bring division, not peace. I didn't come to to put everybody together, a little campfire and sing kumbaya and aren't we all light and fluffy and isn't everything great? No, no, no. I came to bring division. Now, I want to time out. This is really important. This does not mean Jesus' goal is to split families apart. I just want to be real clear. There's no confusion here. You got to read the whole Bible to get the full message. This book is a treatise on the value of family. This book talks about the importance of a whole family following God. Jesus' goal wasn't to divide the family. Jesus' goal was to expose the family was already divided. That there were some people with genuine faith and some people just faking it. And I want you to know there are a lot of families in this church the exact same way. Jesus doesn't come right now to tear your family apart. Jesus comes to expose the fact that you can't fake it. Just because mom and dad are believers in Jesus Christ doesn't mean the kids automatically are just because they go to church. Just because one spouse really does believe Jesus is king doesn't mean the other one believes Jesus is king just because they're faking it. And there's going to come a moment when Jesus is going to come force us to decide, is he king or is he not? And we don't get to ride on the coattails of the rest of the family. It'll be divided. And the whole story of the Bible is one day there's going to be judgment where everything is divided, sheep and goats. Every single one of us is going to have to choose, is he king or is he not? Let me tell you some really interesting news. It's been 2,000 years since that happened, and nothing has changed. Jesus is still just as polarizing. Now, he, he's, not, he's not politically polarizing. That's not his goal. He's not philosophically polarizing. Are you this side or this side? No, no, no. That's not what he does. He is spiritually polarizing. You're going to see him as king, and you're going to bow your knee before him, or you're going to see him as foe, and you're going to fight against him. And there is no in-between. You don't get to say, God, I'll give you this portion of my life. I'm going to keep the rest for me. It is all or nothing with him. He's either king over everything, or he's not your king at all. He is just as polarizing. And here's my question for you. Do you believe Jesus is king? And not just king over Fielder Church. Not not just king over your family. Not not just king over Arlington, Texas. Not even just king over this thing we call earth. Do you believe he is the king of the universe? The one who spoke everything into being, that everything exists through him and everything belongs to him. Do you believe he is king of kings and lord of lords and all creation should bow before him? Now, I want to I dig a little deeper because I believe there are some of us with a genuine heart who can believe that. Yes, he's king out there. But here's the biggest question of all. Is he king in here? Is he your lord? Is he your king? Now, I, wanna, I want you to wrestle hard with that. I don't want you to go, no, I'm a church-going person. I, I like Jesus, so yeah, the answer must be yes. I want you to really search, is he king? Because if you don't really deal with it, I'm talking to you sitting at your home right now too. I want you to wrestle with it, not just the people in this room. I want you to wrestle with it because if you don't, today you might miss your day of visitation. You're going, what's the day of visitation again? Remember, that's, that's when God shows up. Let me go ahead and tell you, God has a habit of showing up in our lives. I firmly believe there are some of you in this room, 
And God has been giving you days of visitation. Moments, things. Maybe there's some circumstances. Something happened in your life and God brought miraculous resolution to it that is definitively him. You're like, dude, only God could have done that. Let me go ahead and tell you what that is. That's a day of visitation. God has visited you in power. Maybe there was some, some resolution to a, a financial problem, to a relational problem, to a physical problem, work issue, school issue, and God brought resolution. That's the day of visitation. Maybe you were just in a really low place in a pit, and God brought just the right person at just the right time to speak a word of life to you, to call out a sin, and to bring you back into community. Let me tell you what that is. That's a day of visitation. Maybe you've been coming to Fielder for a number of weeks or watching online for a number of weeks, and it, it feels like God has just been speaking to you. You're like, dude, I don't know who that brother is, but he's like talking just to me. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what that is. That's a day of visitation. There are some of you here right now in this room this morning, some of you watching online right here right now, and as I'm talking, and as I've been dealing with kingship, you're starting to feel this weird feeling like, oh, dang, I don't think he's king. I'm looking at my life right now. I don't, I don't think he's king. And you feel all warm and awkward and like everybody's staring at you right now and like you're the only person listening. Let me tell you what that is. That's the day of visitation. When you sense the presence of God, the spirit descend upon you when, you, when you sense something supernatural happening, that's the day of visitation. I don't want you to miss the day of visitation. Because that's when salvation comes. That's when healing comes. That's when the power of God comes comes in the day of visitation when you say, okay, the king is here and I choose to bow my knee before him. If it's your day of visitation, will you declare him to be king? Is he your king? Maybe you're going, listen, I don't even know how to know if he's my king or not. I mean, I like him. How do I know? Very simple. One question. How do you respond to God when he starts flipping tables in your life? That's how you'll know whether he's king or not. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He has this habit of flipping tables. He has this habit of disrupting in our lives. What does a flip table look like? A flip table looks like God bringing some kind of hardship on your life that you've asked him to take away and he just won't take it away. We go ahead and testify. I was just hoping and praying when I had the steroid shot on Monday, finally I'd get some relief, I'd be able to sit down. And it got worse. And I'm going, really? I got like 100 people praying for me right now. I'm praying like a fool and nothing. I'm at prayer gathering praying for other people to be healed, and you're not healing me, God. Really? That's what a flip table looks like. And Jesus says, yeah, really. Will you praise me even when it hurts? That's a flip table. Maybe there's something that God has done in your life to disrupt it. He's brought something really hard upon you, and you hate it. Maybe God is calling some kind of sin out inside of you, and you feel judged by God. Like, why, why are you pointing this out in me, God? No one can be perfect. He's flipping tables. He's disrupting. Maybe God is calling you to do something, and you just don't want to do it. God is calling you to do something dangerous, maybe even reckless. God is calling you to be obedient in a way that you don't, that you don't want to obey and you're going, really? I was better off before. What is he He's flipping tables. And when God disrupts your life, how do you respond? Because if you say, no, God, you can have that over here, but you don't get to flip this table, then he's not really king. 
The way you know he's king is when he starts flipping tables and you go, I, I don't like it, but your will be done, not mine. When you're still willing to bend your knee, even when hardship comes, that's how you know he's king. So my question is, is he king? Now, I know you're going, I don't know if I want a king like that. What kind of king who starts flipping tables in my life. Why in the world would I want a king like that? Well, let me remind you who this king really is. This king isn't the kind of king who comes up and says, I'm going to force your head to bow down before me. No, this is the kind of king who says, I'm going to buy you with my own body and blood on the cross. You are a slave, and I'm going to purchase your redemption with my own body and blood because you can't get out of your slavery. The cross of Jesus Christ is a picture of what kind of king we have. So loving and so good, he would give up his own life to save his subjects. That's the kind of king we have. The cross shows us his goodness. Three days later, the resurrection shows us his glory. If he can conquer death, there ain't nothing Jesus can't handle. He's a God who's infinite in power, infinite in love. And he says, that's the kind of king I am. Will you follow me? You want to know why you want to follow Jesus? Because he's the one who can handle all your problems. He's the one who can redeem any failure you've ever had. He's the one who can resolve any conflict you're enduring. He's the one who can bring peace when all you have is turmoil. That's the kind of king he is. He's strong enough to do something about it, loving enough to care. And he said, would you let me be your king? And maybe you're going, okay. I'm searching my heart. He doesn't seem to be king, but after hearing you, Jason, I need him to be king. What do I do? It's real simple. You just got to have confession, repentance, and faith. Those two things, just repentance and faith. Repentance is me saying, Jesus, I confess to you, I have not let you be king of my life, not of all of it. I confess to you that I've been trying to rule my own life. That's what sin is, by the way. Sin is rebellion against the rule of God as you try to rule your own life. It's you saying, I'm going to go ahead and be king of my life. I don't want Jesus to be king. That's what sin is. Transgression, it's rebellion. And we just say, hey, I, I've sinned against you, Jesus. I've tried to be king of my life. Forgive me. I can't do it. And then faith says, Jesus, I want you to be king. I, I want you to come take over this life of mine. I, I won't be perfect, Jesus, but I'm going to do everything I can to follow you. I want you to be king. That's all you have to do to make him king. I just feel like the Lord saying that we need to take a moment right now to do something we don't do often here, but I just want you to bow your heads for a moment, if you don't mind. Even if you're watching online right now, just bow your head and close your eyes. I don't want you looking around right now. I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to imagine that Jesus is coming to you right now, and this is the day of visitation. Your king has come, and he's saying, will you choose me? Will you let me be king? I said, I'm going to lead you in some words that you may want to say to Jesus. If, you're, if you believe that today is the day you want to make Jesus king of your life and to forgive you of your sin, it's not complicated. You just, you just need to talk to Jesus. He's listening to you right now. He can listen to your heart and your thoughts. You're going, you're going I don't know what to say. Well, here's what I want you to think about. In your own words, there's no magical formula. But right now, if, if you need to make Jesus your king, I'm not talking about if he's already your king. I mean if you need to make Jesus your king to give him full control of your life, then just begin with repentance. Tell him, Jesus, I'm sorry. I, I haven't let you be king. I've tried to rule my own life, and I haven't let you rule. Tell him that. 
Just ask him to forgive you. Just go ahead and admit you're the one who screwed everything up. Not him, not anybody else, it's you. You can tell him that right now in your heart. Then once you've done that, then, then you just tell him now you want him to be your king. Just tell him, Jesus, I, I need you. I can't handle this life, but I know you can. Tell him that you want him to be master, that he gets to tell you what to do, that you're going to trust him. Maybe you just want to tell him that you love him, that you're grateful for him. Tell him he's listening. And if you prayed that prayer in your heart and you meant it, then just tell him, thank you for saving me. Thank you for being my king. Tell him. Now listen, with everybody's head still bowed, I don't want people looking around. Please let this be a holy moment. If you prayed that prayer and for the first time and genuinely for the first time said, Jesus, I give you everything. I want to make you king. Please, nobody looking around. I just want you to raise your hand and say, that was me. I prayed that prayer. I asked Jesus to be my king. This is just between you and the Lord. This is you saying, I'm, I'm driving a stake in the ground. He's my king. And just put it in the air. Then you can bring it down. I'm going to give a little bit more. I'm, I'm not even looking around. I don't know who's raising their hand. This is between you and God. Even if you're watching online right now and you're in a house and you need to raise your hand, do it. It's your declaration. Even if you're in the room and you didn't do it a second ago, but you know you're warring, you need to make Jesus king, I encourage you, just raise your hand. It's a sign to him. He sees you. And then you can put your hand back down. Oh, God, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, here, here's what I want to ask you to do. There may be some of you, and you, for the first time, asked Jesus to be king in your life. But I gave you a private moment with Jesus to do that. And I, I want you to know that's, that's great, that's meaningful. But Jesus is very clear about something. He doesn't want to be a private king. He wants to be a public king. He said very clearly, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. But if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. He says, I want to be your public king. Listen, there's a baptistry on stage, and that's what this is all about. It's about saying publicly, Jesus is my king. When you go under the water, that's the old rebellious you, dead and gone. A brand new you coming up that says, I'm not perfect, but I have a new king. And I want everybody to know Jesus is my king. And if you raised your hand because you prayed to ask Jesus to come take over your life and forgive you of your sins, then in a moment, we're going to have people down front. You can come and you can say, I, I asked Jesus to be the king of my life. And what we'll do is we'll have a chance to just take you out into the hallway. We have a counseling area just to talk to you, make sure you understand what's going on. And then we have a place where you can go change and get a Jesus in my place t-shirt. Put on some shorts and before the services, before you leave, we'll We'll have a chance for you to declare your faith in Jesus Christ through baptism, to publicly declare him as king today. I want you to know there is nothing more important than that. If you need to do that, I'm going to give you a chance in a moment. But there are two other things before I open it up. Number one, there are some of you, and you've already made him king, but there are areas of your life that you are rebelling against his rule. There are places where you are not being obedient. 
He's asking you to do something and you haven't been willing to do it because it, it feels too sacrificial. Or he's asked you not to do something and you keep on doing it because you enjoy it more than him. And it may be time for you to go, Jesus, forgive me. These steps will become an altar in a moment. You can come bow down and say, I give it to you, Jesus. Take control of this area of my life too. Or maybe, third thing, you have an issue that you're dealing with and you need to take that issue before the king. Don't try to handle it on your own. That's you trying to rule. Take that prayer need. Take whatever that thing is. It doesn't overwhelm Jesus. Remember, he's infinite in power, but he's also good and loving. He cares about your need. Come bring it before him in prayer. We'll have prayer team members ready to grab it and take it before the king who can do something about it. So I want to invite you to do that. Everybody stand up, please, right now, if you don't mind. Prayer team members, I encourage you to come spread around the room like always. And we're going to declare who our Jesus is, that he's king, and that we must bow down to him in song. But while we do so, if you need prayer, you come. If you need to bow down and give rule back to the Lord in some area of your life, you do it. If you raise your hand and said, I'm, it's time for me to make Jesus my public king, you come let us know. And we'll prepare for that today. Respond as the Lord leads you.